Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We're going to seek to bring the mind of Christ, uh, the mind of Christ to bear on some of the headline news of the day. What matters to you today? Um, what matters are you hoping to understand better through the lens of Jesus? Apply the mind of Christ as you walk your faith out into the world that he so loves. You could let me know um, what you're thinking about today. Um, what matters to you? And we'll see if we've got uh, an opportunity to to talk about that. So you can text me, 877-933-2484. Again, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. An update here on what is happening in Israel. Um, We're past 100 days now, um, October the 7th. You know, that's a that's a whole season ago. Right. Um, That's a whole quarter of uh, a year ago, October, November, December. It's now January the 25th. The people who were took the people who were taken hostage on October the 7th. um, Continue to be held, those who are still living. And that number is, frankly, unknown. Um, But. There is a deep, deep desire um, to have those prisoners released, those hostages released. And so Israel and Hamas have reportedly reached an agreement in principle um, to a deal in which prisoners held by Israel would be exchanged for the release of hostages taken by Hamas and that that would be part of a ceasefire that would be a month long. So this is a framework that uh, still has apparently some differences to be worked out. Um, I do not think that you should consider this uh, a plan to utterly end the war um, against Hamas. Um, Israel has sought to negotiate one stage at a time. Hamas is seeking a package deal that, uh, you know, through which they would get a permanent ceasefire. They want that before the hostages are released. Israel wants the hostages released, um, you know, as a part of an initial phase. And so all of this is going on, and you can just imagine the torment, the ongoing torment um, experienced by members of the families of those who are uh, continue to be held hostage. Um. There's a lot of layers to this, and I guess one of the things that we should acknowledge is the trauma um, being experienced by people on all sides of of this war. Um, and even if and even when these hostages come home, the world they left no longer exists. And the people they were 
when they were taken hostage, those people no longer exist either. Um, it really only takes about 40 days for dramatic change to find its way into our, our hearts and our minds and our lives. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, you, you read 40-day challenges or you enter into 40-day seasons um, to change a particular pattern of behavior or a habit. These people have been held hostage far longer than that. Um, it's really impossible to imagine all the ways in which they have changed. Um, and the world has changed in very dramatic ways in, in the more than 100 days that they have been held hostage. So maybe consider today the ways in which um, you have been changed by the events of life the ways in which you have changed by the choices you've made and by the choices that others have made that have impacted you, both positively and negatively, right? There are people who have invited us in and opened doors for us. And um, because we are we have, you know, found favor with them, we found favor with others. Like there's those kinds of changes. And then there is the negative side of that as well. Those who have sinned against us and the changes that we have experienced in life because of the sins of others. All of that is real. And, um, and I think that as we anticipate the release of these hostages, I just want you to consider um, the post-traumatic stress that they certainly um, will live with. These are going to be people who have survived a living horror. And there are others who are suffering with PTSD from the survivor guilt of having someone that they loved taken and, and they were not. Integrating back into um, life and family isn't excruciatingly difficult. Um, and so I have in mind here what... Um, what can be learned from those of you who have been deployed in the U.S. military and spent time um, in places in the world and in circumstances in the world that we here at home really have no way of imagining, and then how hard it is sometimes to come back home um, where your family has changed and life has changed pretty dramatically in your absence, and you have changed as well, and um and, and that re-entry related to that. If you've served um, for any period of time on the mission field, you know this same experience. And so let's press into prayer today. My invitation is to press into prayer today for those who are um, held captive today by Hamas and those who are held captive today um through human trafficking, those held captive today in places and spaces and in circumstances where evil people um, are keeping them from living a free and flourishing life. And then let's be praying um, to create pathways that those folks can walk in when freedom comes. Yeah, I just, um, my heart is continually broken over this issue and this concern. And 
these families. And so I don't want us to lose sight of this, and I don't want us to lose heart as we're praying for them. Father, um, you know, you see, you hear, and you have the power to liberate. You have the very power of peace. And so, Father, um, by the power of your Spirit, make your presence known. Let your light shine in the darkest of places. Let your sufficient grace pour forth in places where there is no sufficient measure um, of water or food or medical supplies or rest. Father, let your grace pour forth in Jesus' name. Amen. It's just going to be the two of us uh, here in the next segment. So if you've got something particular that you'd um, like to talk about, let me know what that is. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Hey, thanks um, for those of you on the text line, uh, Marcy in Sioux Falls. Um the the word evangelical as it appears in um in some places is confusing hey no doubt about that right there are some churches that use the word in um in their denominational names and they're not evangelical by the um by the traditional meaning of the word and you may be saying to yourself well what is the you know what is the traditional meaning of the word um what does it mean um the the word evangelical um maybe is best defined by you know the national association of evangelicals so here's the way uh they and i would actually answer that question an evangelical is a person who takes the bible seriously we take god at his word we believe in jesus um as the only savior and lord um the term evangelical actually comes from the greek word euangelion which means the good news or the gospel. And so an evangelical person focuses on the good news of of who Jesus is and what he came to do um, and the salvation that is brought to sinners by Jesus Christ. So an evangelical is a um, is a person who has a sense that not only is this gift of God's grace in Jesus for me, but it's for everyone. And then it becomes um, who I am as a person who um, believes in the conversion of sinners into saints, that people would be born again to a living hope um, in Jesus Christ. So I'm an evangelical. I'm not willing to give up on the term. In the same way, I'm not willing up to give, on, give up on the rainbow. Like, you can't have that. Uh, the rainbow is, uh, is a sign given by God in the days of Noah, and and just because you know, some group of people wants to co-opt the rainbow for their own misappropriation, they can't have it. You can't have the rainbow. Like, it's not, yeah. Well, and you can't have the gospel. You can't pervert the gospel to mean just anything you want it to mean. Um, yeah, it, it has a meaning. All right. Um, have you heard of the Stanley Cup? Oh, Ryan Mitchell is producing the show this week. Ryan, um, are you available to just tell us from your worldview, what is the Stanley Cup? It is the trophy that is given to the team that wins the championship in the National Hockey League every year, and many deem it to be the best trophy in sports. It's very heavy, very big. 
Okay. So um, Ryan thinks that the Stanley Cup um, has to do with hockey. And, and Ryan's not wrong. Um, but in much the same way that a whole generation of young women is now learning about football because Taylor Swift has taken an interest in a young man who plays on uh, the team for Kansas City. The whole world is at some point going to find out the truth that Ryan just spoke, that the Stanley Cup is actually about hockey. But right now, the Stanley Cup is a wild trend um, among young women in particular, um, evidenced by a 23-year-old woman in Roseville, California, who was arrested after police found 65 stolen Stanley Cups in the trunk of her car. We're talking here about something called the Stanley Quencher. It's a particular kind of cup made by Stanley. And if you're thinking to yourself, Stanley makes that thermos, you know, and it keeps um, a working man's uh, soup hot for lunch. Yeah. Well, the Stanley Cup has come a long way. um, And the, the, the particular cup, the Stanley Quencher, now goes for 50 bucks a pop at a minimum. Um, and if you were to Google it right now, um, Stanley Cup, what's going to come up is not hockey. It's going to it's going to come up in Forbes and National Geographic and The Wall Street Journal and on and on and on articles over the past few days about the new status symbol of the Stanley Cup. Um, it's a it's a water bottle craze might be a way of thinking about it. So I want to say this. Uh, if you're not aware of it, then now now you're read end on the most ridiculous um, overconsumption societal trend of the day. Um, if you are read in on it, I'd like to give you a way of of talking um, with those who are so obsessed with this social media fueled overconsumption craze in our country right now. God created everything, and everything uh, God created, He declared to be good. But it is possible to have too much of a good thing. It is possible to overconsume, to overindulge, to be greedy. Um, certainly, it's possible to have too little of a good thing. Not enough water, not enough rest, um, not enough food, not enough human relationships. Like, I get that. But we're talking right now about consumerism and the consumption of things. Um, so... I want you to, yes, recognize that the Stanley Cup tumbler craze is nutty. Like, it's a a social media frenzy, um, and it's consuming people. And we might laugh it off, but chances are there's something in the consumer culture that's consuming you. Too much of a good thing. So where in your life have you allowed a good thing to grow in its influence to the point that it's no longer good or no longer good for you? Where have you allowed something that's designed to be consumed to consume you? Where have you allowed the influencers of this social media saturated never enough generation to lead you down a path of excess or indulgence or decadence or gluttony or greed or wolfishness, lavishness, anything that might follow the word binge. Water is good, yes, and it's necessary. A container to transport your water in is a modern convenience that's good, yes? 
And maybe you need one and maybe you need two because, you know, one's being washed and you need the other one. But you don't need one that costs $50 and you don't need that $50 water container in every color in the rainbow. Especially if owning them now drives your life. Let me offer up Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8 here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be made public. The Lord is at hand, so be careful. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He knows your need. The peace of God, which pass all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And finally, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, virtuous things, praiseworthy things, think about, focus on these things. The Stanley Cup quencher craze is evidence that um, we can be driven mad by nearly anything. Pet rocks, beanie babies, water bottles. (sighs) What's consuming you today? That God meant as a thing that was good to be consumed in moderation. Next up, we're going to be talking about swearing parents. No, no, not swearing parents. Excuse me. Swearing parrots. There's some parrots and they're swearing. And yes, they're going to teach us about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, so um, swearing parrots. Mm -hmm. Swearing parrots is the subject matter uh, in front of us now in our conversation with each other. So the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park uh, is in receipt of like a 100 parrots. So they receive animals that, you know, people have grown weary of or whatever. Parrots live a really long time, and so not everybody who gets a parrot lives long enough to care for the parrot or cares to live with the parrot. Um, Like some people just, you know, they grow weary of the parrots they adopt. And so um, the zoo uh, came into possession of, custody of, eight African gray parrots um, over the course of like 2018, 2019. And these particular parrots... Um, were so foul-mouthed, like they just cuss all the time. They swear all the time. They're so foul-mouthed that the zoo um, has been keeping them, these eight foul-mouthed African gray parrots, has been keeping them isolated from the main flock of 92 other parrots. These uh, parrots, known as Billy, Tyson, Eric, Jade, and Elsie, 
Um, well, these particular five who 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 came around in 2020, you know, people were in in COVID and and then they came out of COVID. And anyway, um, the the birds um, curse a lot, apparently. And so, you know, people you 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 know this like these would be the main attraction parrots like right uh that people would want to see at the zoo but apparently um they are concerned um after three more cursing parrots arrived eric captain and sheila um that now they have like too many apparently these eight blasphemous birds will now be integrated into the large flock of parrots the, the hope being that the 92 will influence the eight. Does anybody who has read the Bible see a problem with this plan? They are hoping that the 92 nice parrots with a nice vocabulary will influence the rascally eight. That the G-rated 92 will have verbal influence over the eight foul-mouthed parrots. Do you, do you, how do you think that's going to go? Just curious. All right. So I bring Matthew 16 into the conversation here. The Sadducees and the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were going to test him um, by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Um, and, and, and Jesus, you know, has a conversation with them. Um, and then he leaves with his disciples, and they grow across the across the lake. And the disciples forgot to pack lunch, no bread. Jesus says, "Be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees." And the disciples, now again, he said specifically, "Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees." He did not point out the empty bread basket. But that's what they thought about because we think about our stomachs first a lot and so did the disciples on that day. And so they're talking among themselves and they're like, "He said that because you didn't bring any bread." No, you didn't bring any bread. No, you didn't. Okay. Jesus is like, "Hey, I'm not I'm not talking about bread." Like, do you are you still this thick-headed? I mean, don't you remember like the five loaves and the 5,000 or the seven loaves and the 4,000, like, seriously, do you not understand that I'm not talking about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't let their, them influence you. Don't let their teaching find its way and leaven your life. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, just, just, just a little leaven, just a little false teaching spoils the whole batch or perverts the whole life. So um, it does matter who you hang out with and who influences who. And so I just uh, think that the foul-mouthed parrot story is a good one for us to use in the conversations uh, of the day. Because, after all, who doesn't want to talk about uh, a parrot that says naughty things? All right, and then just this uh, one quick read-in on one more story. Um, There are really only two kinds of people in the world, believers and not yet believers. Now, you might have traditionally thought about that as Christians and non-Christians, but I really do want us to change the way we think about it as Christians and not yet Christians. Because the day is going to come 
the day will come when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about that. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus. So right now, there are those who bow the knee to Jesus and those who do not yet bow the knee to Jesus. But what if we thought of people, instead of thinking them as like hardcore non-believers, what if we began to think of them as not yet believers? How might that change our approach to prayer and to conversation and to hope? So we have these brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have these not yet brothers and sisters in Christ. We have these fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we have these not yet fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have these fellow saints, and we have these not yet fellow saints. Are you leaving room for the possibility that a person who does not yet believe might yet believe? Well, I got a story for you about famous atheist and evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. He actually recently admitted that there may still be something for him to learn about religion. He's left the door open, at least a crack. There's a willingness to admit, even from a guy who says he knows it all, that maybe he doesn't know it all. So today I want you to think about a person who has resisted God, for whom you need to renew your prayers today. Who have you given up on? God has not given up on them. May there yet be an opportunity, an opening, and may the testimony of one non-believer who is now a believer find influence in the life of a person who has yet to believe. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, um, and we're going to talk next with our friend and colleague, J.D. Greer. You know him from Summit Life here on Faith Radio. He's also the pastor of the Summit Church. Um, He's going to talk with us about questions, big questions, big questions that people have asked him frequently over the course of his ministry, questions that you and I may be asking today. As a a pastor um, and as a person even on Christian radio, like, you hear a lot of questions. Um, Some of those questions come up over and over and over again. Well, J.D. has addressed some of those questions in a brand new book, 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. And that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, sometimes, you know, you have a plan, you think you're working your plan, and then, well, the plan is, the plan has changed. So we have not yet connected with uh, J.D., with J.D. Greer um, on the topic of his book. And so um, I'm going to... Oh, actually, we do. All right. Welcome, uh, J.D., to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this book really grows out of your lived experience as a pastor. People ask you questions all the time. Um, Some of those, um, you know, are repeated. Um, So what are you addressing in 12 Truths and a Lie? Yeah, you know, so um, the name actually takes it uh, comes from a, a game, one of my favorite little party games where you tell two truths and a lie. And the lie in this book is that the presence of questions and doubts um, makes you a bad Christian or means there's something defective about your faith. What I found as a pastor is I had all these secret questions that honestly I struggle with. 
And, you know, even as I'm, I'm, you know, believing in Jesus and teaching others about him, I just have these, you know, why doesn't God answer certain prayers and why is the world Mm. set up the way that it is? And why is this such a big deal? And I found that when I began to verbalize some of these and just talk about, you know, kind of struggling my way through them and believing God, yes, but um, having a lot of unanswered questions that just out of the woodwork, Carmen, people just came to say, I've asked that question and never really felt comfortable expressing it. Um, what you find in um, this is a theme I try to pursue throughout the book is that doubt, doubt is often a, it's almost, it's, it's a divinely induced um, moment to invite you into, um, into deeper intimacy with, with God. It's Charles Spurgeon used to say that doubt is like a foot poise, you know, like you raise your foot. Um, and he said, you can, you know, it can drive you backwards into unbelief. That's true, but it's also true. You'll never be able to take a step forward in your faith until you picked up your foot. And so God allows these questions as a way of inviting you deeper into him. I think about Thomas um, and how he got to have the absolutely most intimate experience because he raised a question of doubt. I mean, he actually got to put his fingers in in the holes in Jesus's mm-hmm. hands. Like I, 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 that, I mean, it was out of doubt that Thomas yeah. got a moment of such deep intimacy with the risen Christ. And so I appreciate that. Um, so you are, um, you're vulnerable, uh, in, in admitting that, Hey, these are real questions that real Christians have. These are questions that, that you and I have had. And, um, and they're questions that linger age and stage of life. Uh, I will tell you, bring some of these questions to the surface, particularly the first one that you address. How can I know for sure I'll go to heaven? That might be a question that, you know, I thought I resolved at 16. Um, it's a question that uh, that comes up from time to time as I age. And then as I sit with my 85-year-old mom and my 90-year-old stepdad, it's a real question. How can I know for sure I'll go to heaven? So it's question number one. Do you want to unpack that for us for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, we, our time is limited here, so I'll have to I'll be kind of straight into the point. But, um, you know, I just want to affirm what you said that, yeah, some of us have a chapter of our lives where we really struggle with the assurance of salvation. And, and a lot of times it's early on in our Christian faith. Um, I, I wrote a whole book. One of my previous books was called Stop Bashing Jesus Into Your Heart. That basically was that <laughs> idea that nobody in the world I thought had prayed the sinner's prayer more than I had asking Jesus to come into my heart because I just, I could never find assurance. Um, but um, what you find is that throughout your Christian life, especially in Carmen, I, I appreciate you bringing up, you know, this with your 85 year old parent. Um, my mom was one of the most sincere Christians that I ever knew. And, you know, toward the end, as she kind of approached the end a, a couple of years ago before she passed away, there's a, you know, there's a, it, it, that stuff can resurface. Um, John Bunyan talks about that in Pilgrim's Progress, how faithful Christians can get to that point And just because of the weakness of their body and because of the trauma of the moment can really ask questions. And so I think it's something we'll never totally get away from. And the good news is that, is that God wants us to have assurance, like any father with a child. You know, I, I have four children and not one time have I ever said to them, Hey, I just want you to, when I go away in this business trip, I want you to, I want you to consider maybe I'm not really your dad. 
and maybe my real family is somewhere else and maybe you're really deceived. And I want you to meditate on that and let that, you know, compel you to become a better child so that you earn, you know, earn my attention when I get back. Uh, I would be a terrible father to say that. Well, in the same way, God doesn't want us unsure about our security and his love. And so he, he, he shows us what it means to have that assurance. And essentially, when you get down to it, what it is, is recognizing that Jesus really has done everything necessary to save you. And I compare it to sitting down in a chair. You know, that confidence in that chair just means resting the weight of your hope on that chair. Right now, talking to you, Carmen, I'm sitting in a chair. And I, I, you know, I didn't have a ceremony to sit down in the chair. I didn't pray a (laughs) prayer to the chair. I just sat down. And the way that I know that is the fact that I'm sitting right now. And as you go throughout your life, you 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 are in a posture of trusting in Jesus's finished saving work and a posture of um, trust in his lordship, surrender to his lordship. And that is the posture that saves and it's a posture that brings assurance. That is so good. That is so good. If you're listening right now, um, now I know you want a copy of J.D.'s new book, 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. We are giving away copies today. So to enter that drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. J.D., um, when you you think about the questions that you deal with in here, um, I'm thinking like, isn't the Bible's morality outdated? I feel like that's a question that maybe comes from somebody who wants the Bible's morality to be outdated. Sometimes the questions emerge because we want the answers to be different. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty astute read. Um, you know, one of the things I always tell, I have a lot of college students that are part of our church, a lot of young professionals, and I tell them, please do not be the epitome of a naive, arrogant 21st century Gen Zer who thinks that we are the first generation in history to be offended by the Bible. I'm like, that's historical (laughs) ignorance of a gargantuan proportion. Um, The Bible has offended every generation in history. Um, I always say it's an equal opportunity offender. It offends Muslims in the Middle East just as much as it offends 21st century Americans in, 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 in Manhattan. It just offends them at different points. And you would expect that from from a uh, as, if it's a revelation from the God of heaven to a messed up world, you would expect that to, to offend us. And so the question is, are we going to approach the Bible with a assumption, an arrogant assumption that our way of seeing the world is the only right way and that there's no correction that we could ever receive even from God himself, or are we going to approach it with a posture of humility and say that if God really did design us, then his designs are timeless. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes people accuse Christians of being arrogant, you know, thinking their way is the only way. It's, in some ways, it's the opposite. I don't believe what I believe about morality because I feel like, you know, this is the way I've lived and this is the best way. I believe it because there's a man who got out of the grave and 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 said, this is the way that you should live. And no offense to, you know, your Ivy League education, but when I got a choice between, you know, believing somebody who got a degree in their wall from an Ivy League school and somebody who got out of a grave on his own volition, I'm going with the guy who got out of the grave. Amen. Amen. Um, JD, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation um, about your book, 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. Um, Let me say to you, if you're listening right now and you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have to give away, just text the word book to 877 
933-2484. You can hear J.D. Um, frequently at 12 noon Central every day on Faith Radio um, on Summit Life. You can also visit with him and the church that he uh, serves, um, the Summit Church in I'm going to say Raleigh-Durham, but I might be making that up. Do I have that right? Oh, that's correct. You, you yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so we'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. How good are you? You feeling good? You doing good? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Goodness is the character of God and the work of God. But we don't always feel so good, do we? I mean, are you good? You feeling good? You doing good? Maybe you have a sense that you need some healing, that you desire some wholeness. Our friend Susie Larson has a new book, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness, and we'd like for you to have a copy. Faith Radio is giving away 100 copies of Susie's new book, and we'd like for you to have one. So enter to win yours now at MyFaithRadio.com. We want to know the goodness of God all the time. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. J.D. Greer is a real pastor of a real church. Uh, He knows people who have real questions. Uh, He is one of those real people with real questions, and he deals with some of those questions in his new book. Um, It is 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. J.D., I want to um, jump to... Uh, this question. How should Christians handle political differences? Now, you might have asked a different question. Can Christians have political differences? Um, Would be a different way of asking the same question, but it is a real question in our families, in our communities of faith, in our country today. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> the way you phrase the question could be a valid question, you know, but maybe that would have been more relevant 10 years ago. I think now we kind of recognize that there are families. Um, we've seen, you know, Kenfee 2020, and we saw churches where people that had, you know, peacefully coexisted and thought a lot of one another's faith suddenly became on opposite sides of, you know, what in history might end up looking like a relatively minor issue, but at the time they just seemed so large, you know, questions of how to handle COVID and what the right responses were to movements like Black Lives Matter and, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, um, there, there, there's a place for Christians to really kind of engage with the substance of these. And and I'm not saying there are no right and wrong answers. There certainly are. But what you find in um, the scriptures, especially when Jesus was calling his disciples, was that he called for a unity that went deeper and 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 larger than than um, uniformity in what are are more secondary things. What I don't mean by that, Carmen, is ever compromising his word. I, I don't mean that you say, "Oh, you know what?" Um, pro the the pro life position, the, you know, uh, recognizing the the evil of abortion that we can just sort of like, you know, we can waffle on that. I'm not trying to say that we um, tamp down um, what we say about, you know, God's plan for sexuality or for gender or the absolute destructiveness of um, a society trying to remove distinctions of gender. I I don't mean any of that. 
What I mean is that there are people, the way they approach certain questions when it comes to actually who to pull the lever for at the ballot box, um, they may they, they they may put different priorities on different things. They may look and say, I think these three over here are more important than these two over here. And another Christian say, well, actually, I reverse that. I think these three. And, 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 and you may have very strong and valid reasons why you put them in the order you do. But that's an area that we can say, you know what? Um, um, I disagree with your political calculus, but we are aligned in our, our commitment to Jesus, his lordship, the truth of the Bible, and um, we can have a unity in him that goes beyond some disagreement in what are secondary things. We see this with Jesus, um, you know, namely, uh, he, he calls two disciples who are on the opposite side of the most, um, the most uh, incendiary uh, political position of the day, which was how to handle the occupation of Rome. And one was Matthew, the tax collector. He was a cooperator. The other was um, uh, Simon the Zealot. He was essentially a, you know, a violent responder. Um, and they both had what they thought were valid biblical reasons why they needed to, to, to adopt those positions. Jesus brought both of them in and did not demand on the surface that either of them convert to the position of the other one. He would end up challenging both of them. He would end up, you know, transforming the way that they thought and the weight that they gave certain questions. But he did that. Um, he didn't do that. He didn't make, you know, say, you know, you got to switch your party in order to come into this group. At the end of the day, um, my salvation doesn't come in riding on the wings of Air Force One. And I'm not of the tribe of the the donkey or the elephant. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a son of the lamb. I'm I'm the people of the land. That's my animal, you know, that I'm going to use as my, uh, as, as the basis of my unity. So good. Um, that is, that is really helpful. Um, thank you for that. There is more of that in the chapter um, in this book on how should Christians handle political differences. So again, we're talking with Pastor J.D. Greer. Um, the, the book is 12 Truths and a Lie. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Okay, now for um, uh, a random conversation about your colleague, Brian Loritz, who we love and who is a frequent contributor to conversations here on the show. Yeah, great. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. I wanted to just fan the flame of what you're doing at Summit Church, the people you're oh, including awesome. in the conversation. Um, and you know, so let me, let me say this, how can we as believers out here, you know, all over the place, how can we be praying for you as the pastor of a local congregation? And I want, I want to use this as, um, encouragement for people to be praying for pastors in their local community today. Yeah. In fact, I, I'll speak on behalf of me and Brian, because we're both, um, you know, lead pastors and teaching pastors here at Summit Church. Um, you can pray for a clarity about, um, you know, vision and what God wants us to do. I mean, I hate to use a cliche, but how to keep the main thing, the main thing, um, how to, how to, how to keep the gospel first and foremost in what we're doing. There's all these secondary things that clamor for our attention. So you can pray for faithfulness and um, a sensitivity to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling us to do right then. Um, you can pray. We prayed that God would um, allow us to send out a hundred people over the next three years to unreached people groups. And I'd love for some of your listeners to join us in that. And then, um, you know, the third one that I would, I would give to them um, is that you pray for our families. Um, mm. You know, pastors' families are not 
you know, well, they're not special either way. They're not especially awesome. They're not especially, you know, not awesome. They're just normal people. And, um, but there is a lot of pressures that go with um, having kids that always feel like they're underneath the public eye. And so whenever people ask me if they can pray for me, that's one of the things I always mention is pray that God will work in my kid's heart and then he will teach them to love and honor him and that they will learn to trust him on their own and not just to imitate the faith of, you know, their, their father, or their, their mother. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to unpack a little bit further. A hundred, you, you guys are looking to send a hundred people over the next, did you say three years to unreached people groups? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, you know, we, we feel like, well, the scripture teaches us that what God does when you're in a reached people, which, you know, there's a lot of people to reach here, but, you know, this is a place where you can hear the gospel on great shows like yours and others, um, is that it is our responsibility to take the gospel to people who've never heard it. And there are still, um, you know, several thousand what they call unreached people groups, people without a, a witness of the gospel. And so we challenge our church, you know, for me personally, God called me to be a pastor. He called me from the mission field. I was actually serving as a missionary overseas. Um, and he never, he never relinquished my call to the mission field. He said, you're just going to do that, um, as a pastor. So we teach our, our young college students and young professionals, you know, like, Hey, you got to get a job somewhere. Why not get a job in a place where God is doing something, um, strategic. And so sometimes that's, in Denver, Colorado, Raleigh, North Carolina. Sometimes it's in Dubai. Sometimes it's in Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're praying that God would raise up a hundred more. Right now, there are currently 278 of our um, of, of our members who are serving overseas. And so we're praying for another hundred to join them. Wow. I love that. All right. That's, um, that's inspiring and encouraging. Let's, um, let's pray. Father, thank you for JD, your son, our brother. Thank you for the particular calling you've placed on his life. And thank you for the way that he um, extends your word, your grace, um, your spirit into the lives of so many others. Thank you for his partners in ministry. We love Brian and we want to lift up their families. We want to lift up the ministry that you have called them into together and the ministry that is flourishing um, through those members of their congregation So, Father, thank you for calling people to yourself. Thank you for giving um, J.D. and Brian and the rest of the leadership team at Summit a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. Give them a clarity of vision. Help them, Lord, to keep the main thing the main thing and protect their hearts and minds and their families. Um, Father, there is a lot of clamoring in the world for our attention and our affection. And so I would just ask, Father, that you would bless them, each one and all of them together collectively with the um, protection and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we certainly want to fan the flame of this um, missionary endeavor that uh, to the hundreds that have already gone forth from Summit Church into the world that you so love that the next hundred um, would be uh, would come to that sense of their calling uh, in your calling in their life and, um, and that you would reach people through them, reached people, reaching unreached people, Lord, um, thank you for that gift of of the calling of Christ in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you, Carmen. That blesses yeah. me today. Oh, hey, that's mutual. That's mutual. That's J.D. Bre- JD Greer. You can listen to him here on uh, on Summit Life on the Faith Radio Network. We're talking today about his book, 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's Biggest Questions. And yes, we do have copies to give away. Text the word book to 877 877- 
933-2484. Out of time today, but, you know, tomorrow's a new day, God willing. Uh, the creek is rising where I live, so let's be praying for people across the uh, now what was snow-saturated and now is absolutely rain-saturated portions of the United States. Rain, rain, rain will be a part of the Friday Farm Report, but we got a lot of other great stuff planned for tomorrow as well. So be sure and join us. Share today's show via the app or from MyFaithRadio.com. Be a radio missionary. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.